the same company that's behind everything great in America? Halliburton. They're behind all your favorite things. They control everything. All hail Halliburton. Don't cross them or they'll turn you into a bird. Do you even hear yourself right now? Wait, you're a bird? We're all gonna be birds! Don't you get it? Don't you see what Halliburton is doing? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another very special edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, comic Nick Munez. We are debriefing Chris Hedges, one of the best journalists of our generation. His book, bestseller, America, The Farewell Tour. This is a very special edition. Your host is in his wheelhouse on these American decay libertarian dissection of the totalitarian corporatist state i am flowing throwing the big ideas around this is when the big brain comes out ladies and gentlemen we are talking about the end of the empire today as all empires end rome egypt atlantis the druids why would america be any different endless wars we've been at war for almost 40 years straight this is (laughs) <laughs> the $2 trillion bailout that just happened, that is the biggest stimulus package to any economy the world has ever seen. We are the biggest mass of obese people the history of the Earth has ever seen. We have islands for pedophilia, offing journalists left and right, isolating whistleblowers, mass surveillance, sadism. This is our country, people. There are some darker parts that get swept under the rug, but Chris takes us through seven of our deadly sins as a nation and all of these seven things from racial infighting gambling and ultimately freedom you see start to decay at the end of an empire chris hedges a pulitzer prize winner he is an independent and this is the best way to look at america he's taken down anderson cooper taking it in the pooper and of course that means the other side is getting theirs too Tucker Carlson, that's your ringer right now. It might be a hard pill to swallow, but it has been for every patriot, more of a nationalist. You'll learn today that patriotism isn't blindly following some bureaucracy that has a different head this week from the next week. Patriotism is standing for independence and freedom. And we are going to go back to our grassroots today, to the first sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Inalienable rights, all men, the pursuit of happiness. This is what being a patriot in America was founded on. So remember, if your identity on Earth is very closely tied to a political party, remember people, we are 99.9% alike. The state has found these wedge issues to create the infighting. Chris Hedges, the lord of the wedges, he's going to let you know what your triggers are if you are unaware. Let's get into the author about this clown. Hedges was born in 1956. That makes him, what is he, 64? He was born in Vermont but he went to Colgate College, spent a good amount of time in New Jersey, was talking about places that I grew up around. We're going to have plenty of stories to wove into today. He was, as I said, a Pulitzer Prize winner. Some of his top-selling books, Hedges, are War, A Force That Gives Us Meaning, written in 2002. 2009 was Empire of Illusion, The End of Literacy and the Triumph of Spectacle. 2010, Death of the Liberal Class. That one was talking about how 
<laughs> within the past elections, the popular vote doesn't matter. He was predicting a blue-collar conservative candidate was going to overthrow anything the DNC was putting up. He predicted Donald Trump, where the media was telling you, <laughs> remember those Gallup polls? I was still in college. I believed it head over heels. Oh, there's no chance he could win. Hillary is estimated to win. None of those numbers mean anything, people. In 2012, he wrote Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt. And then in 2018, this book is from. This is eye-level shelf if you're going to Barnes & Noble. America, the Farewell Tour. Literally couldn't have come out at a better time. It seems like a singularity of some sort that I was reading this as we go on lockdown towards the end of the world. It's going to add to our discussion today as well. As for Chris, uh, he went to school, what was it, Colgate, and he was studying to be a Presbyterian minister. So he was learning to read analytically. When you go for one of those like clergy positions, you're learning religion in school, they make you read the Bible, the Torah, the Quran. You have to learn how to decipher sub-stories from ancient relics. Like These are super riddles that you're deciphering at school. So he's a very analytical guy. He dabbled with the devil in freelancing as a conservative wouldn't like you to but he's snagging paychecks left and right with all of those books i knew a kid once that i worked with him and he was one of the most interesting people i had ever met he lived in vietnam for like eight years and he uh studied ministry in school his parents wanted him to be a priest and as soon as he graduated he was like honestly i think the torah was kind of a little bit more on the right path and so he went to Southeast Asia and India and was like studying Buddhism. He's like, this really opened my mind to all the possibilities. It didn't narrow me down to farm more people through the church. So it's very interesting that how those types of educations polarize people and create very good writers. Hedges is littered with awards. He has amnesty international global award for human rights and journalism he's always trying to write the small man doesn't have a voice hedges makes his voice for the disenfranchised he taught at columbia university new york university university of toronto and then princeton university so a little more jersey action <laughs> talk about decay princeton is in trenton the capital city of new jersey new jersey used to have booming blue collar manufacturing towns all of that got sent overseas and now new jersey is chris christie the governor one of the most corrupt places on the east coast but it's uh, it's good microcosm of the united states good place to grow up it shows you the money laundering the facade of social services that the state is proud to be in new jersey and just this past uh, 2020 they had a massive protest against mandatory vaccinations so there are some patriots over in new jersey saying let me read the fucking research okay you're not gonna start sticking my baby with 50 needles let's take a step back state this is not your role and having the foresight to protect yourself like that is what a patriot needs it's what hedges writes about and it's going to be the theme of our show today. So let's get into it. Seven chapters, starting with decay, addiction, sadism, hate, gambling. And it's going to circle us back to freedom. And is there a way to save us on our doomed path as a country? We'll see. Chapter one, decay. Not sure what bowling has to do with decay, but we're underway. He started with the uh, Republic quote that we kind of referenced. 
as hard as it may be for a state so framed to be shaken yet, since all that comes into being must decay, even a fabric like this will not endure forever, but will suffer disillusion. So it is ignorant to think that anything lasts. Like... <laughs> Starting out on a real positive note, I know, but like even when you create a game in the backyard with your friends, you can never repeat it. It's never the same as good as the first time everything suffers from disillusion and decay. I said before, Atlantis, Egypt, Rome, recent one, we saw within most of our lifetimes, the USSR, the second biggest military power, crumbled to nothing. People living in squalor there, having to flee to Ukraine. And then you see them going colonial again within 10 years. So, <laughs> in this um, fast food global culture that we live in, even the empires grow and fold fast as well. Look at the videos I make for the show. We have to do GIFs, 7 second videos to keep people's attention. Books do not keep people's attention like they used to in the 1800s. People don't read anymore. His uh, big case for Chapter 1 that Hedges kept referring to was Scranton, Pennsylvania. Ever drive through that ghost town? You're not missing much. He was talking about the Lace Company, which really held together Pencil Scranton for a while. A town next to Scranton was the second most lucrative town in America at a time. So these suburbs really just follow around wherever the most money is. And the rich people move. you got to know when to follow the rich people. That's when you get into gentrification and redlining. All that adds to decay. That Scranton uh, lace company, they used to employ 1,200 families. So thousands upon thousands of people were dependent on this, and the entire town as well. Scranton, now a ghost town, it's just like <laughs> all these USSR Siberian mining ghost towns. If you look up, I don't remember the name of it, just look up Giant Russian Hole in Earth. It's visible from Google Earth. It looks like the Earth's butthole, and you keep zooming in, and there's a town on the outside of this giant Earth. It was just a USSR project. They were like... Yeah, just uh, support a town out there and have these people dig down into the mantle every single day. State stopped funding it, and now you got families out of work, people just throwing themselves over the edge of the hole. That's exactly what we did with our manufacturing as a nation. Got a little too expensive with the unionization. Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle, and then, uh, you know, unions were like, wait, we can make more money for running people's company when they just boss us around? People started to organize, unionize. And so we outsourced our work. That's exactly what they did in Siberia, exactly what they did in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Scranton factory, it's, it, their heyday was around 1891. And that's when we were ramping up for World War I. So they were making bomb parachutes, mosquito netting, tablecloths, uh, canvas. So we still use a lot of those things. And in 2014, Hedges, having written about or read about the history of Scranton, he went to interview the mayor there. And he said back in 2012, there was a five-man city council at the bank that would no longer lend the city money. So they couldn't keep the lights on. They couldn't keep uh, toilet paper in the supermarkets. The bank's... The banks own America, man. We just gave most of the trillions of dollars we just printed back to the banks who failed. Where in the Constitution does it say you're allowed to bail out private industry with taxpayer money? That is not part of our republic, what we built as a nation upon freedom. It is total corruption, and that's what these banks were doing. They're supposed to forward the money, give loans to small businesses, 
but the banks are just keeping the money and offshoring it. And so the mayor, he tried to use the power of the government to secure some military contracts for Scranton and said that they were negotiating everything, even the military contracts. So like Halliburton, they were like, we'll put a manufacturing plant in Scranton and they negotiated down to the parking meters. Halliburton was like, you guys, we're going to put an agent down on the streets of Scranton and we're going to collect your parking meter fees. So all of that is up for grabs in the scope of governmental negotiation. They don't let you know that, but some of the funds, some of our tax dollars are allowed to be used for bribes. That's how Scranton was able to survive through the World Wars. You see, Denver has our boom out here right now. Down in Colorado Springs, it's the biggest 3D printer in the world. And we're using it to print drones. They're printing all kinds of DARPA technology. Scary shit. That is booming down there in Colorado Springs. It's also the biggest fast food capital in the world per capita. That's like <laughs> pretty sad, but that's one of the signs of a successful town, successful city in America. And so you see bubbles. This is how we make money. You prop a place up until it's no longer lucrative and then abandon it. There's definitely a military industrial bubble here right now as there was in Scranton in the late 1890s and early 1900s. It's just like how China is building all those ghost cities. Google this one, Paris of China. They have an Eiffel Tower in China, and it's surrounded by like hundreds of apartment buildings that are completely empty. It's a straight-up ghost town. So China is preemptively doing it. They're working on both sides, the front and the back of ghost towns. You've heard the Bohemian Grove in the United States is supposed to be a giant ghost city, but it's for the elites for now, apparently. All of that shit is part of the decay that Chris is starting out with. He moved it over a little bit to the subprime mortgage crisis. He was writing books all around 2008. He watched it go down. A lot of his first books were, this 2008 crash, people, this is not a one-time thing. This is the start of a long con. Once we bailed them out for the first time, you set a precedent. Just like the coronavirus, we're scared of the flu. Government can lock you down now. We set a precedent. I guarantee the new normal. People are saying next year they're going to fucking lock you in your house if someone you know dies from the flu your rfid chip will shut off chris stated it's going to be a rolling 10-year spree of crashes and bailouts crashes and bailouts here we are 2020 another crash world's biggest bailout ever seen and why do you think hong kong <laughs> some literally the biggest protests in human history were just starting up hong kong paris and in 2008 was uh occupy wall street that was one of the most successful protests in american history they can't let that happen during the next shutdown quarantine everyone's ass hedges tagged it with a marx quote i mean it's never good to quote karl marx but he's quoting it saying how dissent is inevitable in capitalism and communism. We know in the show history is cyclical. Marx said, The need of a constantly expanding market for its products chases the bourgeoisie over the entire surface of the globe. So Scranton wasn't lucrative enough for the global elite. They are chasing a more willing, more anally gaped bourgeoisie to take advantage of, and that's the poor, starving children of China. So once it gets worse enough here, we're in enough of a disparity depression 
that, and we're burning money to stay warm. Then they'll start bringing manufacturing over here because we'll work for pennies on the dollar. So Chris, having been paying attention through the entire cycle of the past uh, bailout and then crash, he cited in 2015 the big banks literally admitted that they were guilty for chasing the American economy elsewhere. 2015 New York Times article, it was summarizing an eight-year investigation. It took them eight years to fess up. Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Barclays, and Goldman pled guilty on May 22nd of 2015 to conspiring to rig the value of world currencies. I guess put one on the board for conspiracy theorists? That's the difference between conspiracy theorists and uh, goldfish out there. Conspiracy theorists keep track. We keep score. We remember when the government lies to us. In 2015, they were found guilty for conspiring to rig the value of world currencies. Once you start reading, um, like I'm reading Confessions of an Economic Hitman. This is literally the accounts of an American spy vetted by the NSA working for a U.S. shell corporation. He breaks down how John Perkins in that book, how we went off the gold standard. We went off the Petro standard. America, there is nothing backing our standard. We are the first country in history who has the ability to print money. It's like the Roman Empire couldn't just make fake gold coins and say, look, all of our, um, the Samoan Islands, all of our investments in the Middle East are worth this much because we printed this much money. They weren't able to create those types of bubbles. We just press a button, money printer machine, and uh, we can inflate the value of countries. It's um, it's America's superpower, and it is built out of decay and corruption. So John Perkins is uh, exposing those much higher levels of the racket. But on these lower levels, if you're even just paying attention to local court cases, to federal court cases in 2015, you would know J.P. Morgan, Barclays, Citigroup, Goldman are all rigging world currencies. They are all working together to sell you a fake IPO and make sure you have to take out a second mortgage on your house. It is straight up evil. Like, why do people, every movie you watch, every story you love has evil in it. And then people get back to the real world and their brain just shuts off because they're scared that evil exists. You have to fucking acknowledge that it is part and infiltrating and decaying our bureaucracy. Stop just saying everyone wants to help you. They might say they're your civil servants, but it is a massive extraction of wealth. We did the basics last May. Go back, listen to Anatomy of the State literally breaks down what a state is, what it is afraid of, and what it thrives on. So all of this extraction of wealth to the top, America, America, the Ponzi scheme where Goldman Sachs takes my minimum wage. (laughs) I guarantee America, the corporation flags me for copyright and tries to sue me for just singing that song. As all the money goes up to the top, the working class decays, you're deporting jobs for pennies on the dollar, crime increases, pensions disappear, social services worsen, you see more potholes on the road. Why is Domino's filling our potholes? (laughs) My minimum wage, a quarter of that gets taken away. Like a tenth of that goes to the state. Zero of it is mixing concrete. 
hedges-cited curable diseases grow up <laughs> as things start to decay. We are literally, we shut down our country's economy because of a strain of the flu. Hot take. Grandma, stay the fuck home. We're not going to shut down the world economy because you got the sniffles. Seriously, we are not even thinking straight as a country anymore. Hedges cited. We're in a new phase of decay. We are in the mass shooter phase. No country has ever made it to this point. No empire has ever made it to this type of decay. The Roman Empire, sure. Romeo was <laughs> jousting the Montagues in the middle of Venice. Like, there was a lot of violence, but it was over the honor of your family. It wasn't because you grew up hating society and you decided to shoot up your school. What the- where the fuck is that? That is the symptom of an extremely unwell society. I'm trying to read this um, Columbine shooter book because that was like the first shooter. I literally live next to Columbine Drive. Littleton, Colorado is like 10 miles away from me. Man, I'm in the state of decay right now. 50 states of decay we got in this country. Hedges had a cool thing. I didn't even know in the... Um, Socrates wrote about it. The first philosopher, the father of philosophy, said when a government decays too much because the people emulate their government, we use the government to raise people as a mommy-daddy figure, so we subconsciously act after it. When the government is so corrupt, he was saying, Socrates, in the year negative 2000, there will be mass stabbing sprees when the average man can decipher the corruption in the state. So this will open my eyes a little bit too that the average man is not supposed to want to pay attention. Like Most people, like I said, want to ignore evil. But that's when the mass stabbers come up. What's that quote? The only thing that needs to happen for evil to persist is good men to do nothing. Oh, I didn't do anything. I'm not responsible for this. If you do nothing while your fucking grandma chokes on a chicken wing across from you, you are held liable. <laughs> if you watch the beautiful country of America be fucking sold off to globalists like Alexandria Ocasio and you sit and watch Netflix, patriots are going to look at you with a lower light. Decay. So we, um, banks are decaying. The real estate landscape is decaying. Chris, being a journalist, an outside journalist, wrote about cronyism and the media. Chris Hedges uh, is a child of the Enlightenment, man. Thomas Jefferson said that the media is supposed to be the opposite arm, the combating wing to the government. You're supposed to be digging dirt up on the leaders. If you watch the post that Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep movie, it's all about getting in bed with diplomats and people who have power in the state. I'll bet you Anderson Cooper and Tucker Carlson do blow on their super yachts together. They're just selling the hype, man. It's pay-per-view. CNN versus Fox. They're doing this for ratings. They don't care about informing you. They're pushing you further into the allegory cave. Look at... <laughs> it disgusts me, man. Remember our fly consciousness as a populace? Two years ago, a zip pie was on the stand. You guys were ready to crucify him because he sold out our privacy. And it's getting worse. Patriot Act 2.0 is being passed under our noses during this corona bullshit. Ajit Pai. He was the CEO of Verizon. 
And now he's the FCC chairman. The people who get to say who lays the fiber optic cables in your neighborhood. Oh, I wonder if he's favoring Verizon contracts now. This is the revolving door of a decaying government. That 2015 study about Goldman Sachs and the Federal Reserve, those people are taking jobs making sure they don't fail. If you start Colorado Union Bank, if you start fucking Joe's Hot Dog Stand, you have to pay fees as a startup. Apple offshored $2 trillion tax-paying dollars within the last decade. Okay, that's supposed to be in the system. That's supposed to be trickling down to the small businesses. Again, we the decaying state of America of any fucking totalitarian state, you socialize cost and privatize benefits. They take our fucking taxpayer bailouts and they privatize their money in Swiss banks. There was a fucking crazy stat that Chris had about in 2011, the New York Times, the Atlantic, and the Washington Post, the most renowned press media sources in America, they only had 500,000 subscribers. So people are pretty checked out. This is also what happens at the end of an empire. People start, like we said, the average Joe learns to distrust the media who is lying to you. Only 500,000 subscribers. Think about that. The biggest podcasts in America right now are getting 15 million downloads per hit, per show. That's per subscribers a month. So some of these guys are getting billions of views. You have more influence than the state. (laughs) No wonder you got to shut down freedom of assembly, the First Amendment, for a little bit. They shot themselves in the foot. Let's keep doing three studio sitcoms where it's all fake. You can fool people with a false facade for so long until they want something real. And sometimes that's a real economy, too. Let's cite some Dostoevsky. That conscious man, the person who's observing the story around them, is always going to be in the minority. You're never going to get 60% of people that are awake. And in our beautiful democracy... As long as 51% believe something, you can oppose, you could force your will onto somebody. Here's a description of democracy you don't get very often. Me and my buddy are going to come over to your house and, uh, you know, we're just going to take a vote. We're going to vote on if the three of us can take your money and split it up evenly. Of course, you're not going to want to vote for that, but me and my buddy got a two-thirds on you and now your money is ours. Welcome to America. So the 51%, which is really more like 95% of Americans, are still embracing the Kim Kardashian. All that fucking garbage. Something cool about the Kardashians is, um, like, you don't know to look for these things until you read a book like Confessions of an Economic Hitman. But the Kardashians' floor in their house is the same flooring they use at every free Masonic lodge in the United States. Little predictive programming, a little bit of um, psyop brainwash going on. It's cool when you know what to look for within the state-sponsored media. Hedges thinks that since uh, the Watergate scandal, Americans that are awake don't trust the media. So, like even before that, the Walter Con- Cronkite generation, academics trusted the media, but people who are fucking above the age of twenty-five know. That <laughs> there's nothing to gain in uh, transgender bathroom virtue signaling. Hedges cited some of like the best authors of all time: George Orwell, Aldous Huxley, and then a '50s media writer, Hannah Arendt, about collective psychosis. 
Um, I, it's hard to explain. Go take mushrooms. Unless you're outside an independent writer like Chris Hedges is, you are totally blind to the collective hypnosis of the society. You are in the stream. You got to exit the river to be able to see the way the stream is flowing. And what all these great writers would say is the further you get in a totalitarian state, the further you are from truth. Just like 1984, doublespeak. You can be arrested for saying something that can be interpreted as something else. Um, the fucking Ministry of Truth, dude. It's a department of the state that is made to manipulate the minds of the people. Does that sound a little like mainstream media? Uh, in 2014, Obama threw habeas corpus out the window. And, I mean, you didn't hear anything about Obama. This guy flew under the radar for eight years, whereas Trump can fart and it gets picked up on a parabolic microphone. Obama, he literally did away with due process. You can be detained indefinitely on American soil as a citizen if you pose a domestic threat. So, literally, all a cop has to say is, you're a terrorist. Fucking a lady, I think she got, like, the death penalty. She uh, went to a supermarket, and they said that she coughed on, like, $10,000 worth of food. And she is now being detained as a domestic terrorist. This bitch could be put in fucking Guantanamo Bay. Be waterboarded and electrocuted, man, for sneezing in a grocery store because we do not have due process anymore. And, of course, the media story was, Oh, my God, fear! Look at these people are going and sneezing on fruit on purpose! They're trying to raise your anxiety level so they can manipulate you more. This sets a precedent. Like, you're going into a supermarket now and there's fucking cops in supermarkets and you don't say hi to them because you don't respect this pig who is enforcing his will on people picking produce. He can detain you, throw you in the back of his paddy wagon if he doesn't like the way you looked at him. This guy gave me a bit of a thousand-yard stare, you know. I don't think he's stable. Let's bring him in for questioning. That's possible, man. There's You don't have fucking rights in America anymore. It's very, very scary. I didn't think that I would be alive in America to watch the First Amendment deteriorate. That shit is making my skin crawl as I speak to you over many miles. That's fucked. That's why I'm trying to put my voice out there. What did Dostoevsky say we just learned? God gave you a tongue to speak dissent. Speak for those who cannot or do not know they are being taken advantage of. So let's wrap it up. As every empire reaches a state of decay... <laughs> literally why jesus christ got lynched man jesus was saying the romans were creating a debtor's prison exactly what america is doing with these like student loans taking an 18 year old and putting them in 300,000 plus dollars in debt after interest that's fucking criminal man you're taking an indentured servant an 18 year old slave Chris's quote was, Wealth isn't created by manufacturing or labor. It's made by manipulating currencies, debt ponage, and bullshit jobs. You saw... <laughs> Man, I made that broadcast last February, last March. <laughs> Literally 12 months in advance, I called one-third of American workers being out of work. Our unemployment rate, how can you even believe that, is 30% right now. We are at Great Depression levels. That, that whole book, Bullshit Jobs, was about how many fucking jobs are really expendable. Like, literally, our, we're still living, we're still eating, and a third of people now aren't doing their fucking pencil-pushing jobs. That's what an empire looks like, a bunch of people doing fucking nonsense work. 
debt ponage. I can't believe he used that word, ponage. I thought only 14-year-olds on video game streaming sites said that. Jesus Christ was making sure <laughs> the Jerusalem, the people of Israel, weren't getting debt pwned by the Romans. If this was a giant PC interactive multiplayer game that we were all interfaced in, people get pwned by debt. That'll be the end of your game. <laughs> Just like the fall of the Roman Empire, we're out here putting chefs on pedestals, watching WWE, how much does that... <laughs> look like the Colosseum, but it shows how much stupider we are now. Green Ridge, that was the name of the town outside of Scranton. It was the second richest township in America, and all the banking families left, and so then all the high middle to high class families left, and you're you got a decaying rust belt city like Cincinnati. And people in Denver are always like, if you're not a native, get out of Colorado, man. We don't need you here. Do you want to be a decaying Rust Belt city, or do you want to try to give yourself a chance at a future? Obviously, look at Scranton, look at the way we, te we treat our imperialized nations. This is no longer a direct democracy. We talked about popular votes there. The USA is no doubt in a state of decay from the way it started. Chapter 2, we're talking about heroin and a little bit of addiction. We have a quote from David Foster Wallace. It's about how heroin, it starts as a cure for a lot of people, but then becomes the root of your pain. He described heroin as a lightless hole. Instead of a heart, heroin is described as a warm blanket. You can't get sober, drunk, high, or straight. You're just tarred out. Scary stories of heroin, I'm sure you've heard. It's supposed to be like the most blissful state you could find. Your house could be burning down and you could just be chilling on your couch. Whoa, is it a little warm in here? The first part of his quote was a little bit heavier. It's how most American opiate addictions start. You are prescribed heroin or fentanyl and opiate as a cure for the pain, but then you get addicted and it becomes the root of your pain. Hedges started with some AA stories. He would go and just sit in on meetings all around the country. What he saw overwhelmingly was people with gray lives. And so he did a little research. Guess how many Americans are in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous? 1.5 million recovering addicts in the United States of America. And you know that probably means twice that number of people should probably be in the program. Fucking think about, though, probably 3 million drunks and recovering drunks in the United States. That's bigger than the Army. And some of those are, I bet most of those make up the United States Armed Forces, too. But it shows alcohol abuse is an epidemic on its own. And it, just as it was in the Roman Empire, mead was some of the cheapest. It was cheaper than water because water was dysenterious. People were living off of alcohol. <laughs> Look at alcohol sales post-coronavirus. Entertainment and uh, alcohol, weed too in Colorado, go up exponentially at these end times. In these AA meetings, Chris met some uh, alcoholics who were then using heroin to get clean. Because when you try to detox from alcohol, the hangovers will get you for like a month. You ever see the Ray Charles movie when he's like going through the shakes, cold sweats from withdrawal? Jesus, that's got to be hell on earth. And so people use heroin to get through that and then get hooked on the heroin. When I was living up in uh, 
Boston. I did that for like six months, graduated school early. They have on Commonwealth Avenue at the end of it is uh, like the public hospital and they call it Methadone Mile. (laughs) Any time of day, there's a mile long line of people waiting to get their methadone shots to try to get off of opiates just to get their little score a hit for the day. Huge epidemic. And that and the alcohol one, they just feed back into each other. Chris found through the AA circles that hooking was also on the rise. In 2012 on Tunnel Avenue, New Jersey in Jersey City, Chris, he I don't know how he found this out. It must have been a really bad day at work. The hookers on Tunnel Ave were offering 100 bucks for some puss, 50 for a blowy, 25 for a handy. Pretty good rates shows you the disparity and what people will do to feed their addictions. The most common complaint that Hedges heard in hooking and in AA was that people think the system is set up for me to fail. It's definitely, I wouldn't say that. It's a victim mentality. You got to be a little bit more cocksure than that in life. But the system definitely isn't set up for you to succeed. (laughs) Uh, Like You got to circumvent the system to make it to new levels. Yes, the system is... uh, made to milk tax money off you we are on a giant tax farm i hate to break it to you guys go read animal farm it shows the rate of decay will exponentially get higher when the populace's mentality is i am meant to fail here america was built on psychopaths that said hey I'm living in this country in Europe, wherever you're coming from. I have my church here, my family, my loved ones, my house, and everything I've known to love. I'm going to leave that and go to some new world that doesn't even have a map yet. America is built on risk-taking people. So you've heard, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. We're at that point in the cycle where the strong men came over saying, I'm going to make it work in this new land no matter what. And now we're born with iPhones and iPads and sugary drinks 24-7. And that's the pacifier. (laughs) People are telling themselves, well, I'm just, uh, it's just set up for me to fail here. Even in very rich towns, Hedges was seeing this. Hedges attended a funeral in Edison, New Jersey, and he painted a picture of a young girl up on the Rarity River in New Jersey. There was a young high school soccer player, a girl. She got an injury in a high school game, and they prescribed her a mild opiate. One year later, at a house party in the town, she died of an overdose. Jersey boy right here. (laughs) I mean, my town was more full of... We had a lot of Mexicans and Indians, so our gas stations were getting robbed left and right, but for every armed assault case that we had (laughs) the really rich town one town over madison when i was in high school a kid there overdosed on opioids and we're like whoa that must be some good shit dude a kid that i um wrote like our high school talent show with he overdosed on opiates too it makes it into every fucking town in america think about if the news reported on that (laughs) as much as they did on isis i mean how many people did isis get this year I think I literally think I've read one report about two U.S. soldiers getting named, and then we fucking <laughs> we like lit up all of Tehran, like a million other cities, the day after. If the media reported on the amount of kids that overdose, we would be fighting it like the war on terror. Even worse, when you're on these drugs, 
Hedges found out that doctors recommend that people drink an extra two liters of water a day. That's like double what you're supposed to drink because your brain needs an extra four ounces of water to keep afloat when you're on these drugs. So most people don't. I mean, I took opiates after I had to get my shoulder surgery. It feels like you're in a time hole, man. That was one of the worst drug. I'm not definitely not going to get addicted to those ones. The depressants are not for me. Maybe says something about my character. It feels like fucking time is slipping away, which is, uh, I could see why a lot of people would want to just switch over that, their reality to that. Like, you see these, uh, the homeless people who look like just shriveled up raisins? That's their brain. Like, they show those pictures of a raisin, and they're like, this is your, these are your lungs on cigarettes. That is literally your brain on heroin. Addiction is fucking huge in America. Everybody's heard stories about a kid in their town who was like an EMT. Here in Denver, every single night is like a parade. You got ambulances going down 14th Street, up Colfax, back and forth, back and forth. Go by parks and there's just fucking overdosed people sprawled out. Talk to any EMT, they will tell you. Homeless people, addicts, call the cops saying, I j- my friend just overdosed from heroin at this address. And then they overdose themselves on heroin just because they want to see the other side. They want to chase that dragon all the way back to the cave. And then you get administered Narcon when the EMTs show up. They bring you back to life. Just like we're at this new mass shooter phase of decay in America, we have reached a new fucking level of human addiction where people are taking it to, to the other side. It's never been possible. The Mayans who were drinking ayahuasca tea and praising gods left and right, they were never able to trip so hard that they died. Our addiction is at a new level of decay and awesomeness. Chapter 3, Hedges was getting a little bit into work and what is closely tied to work, mental health, hand in hand. I don't know if you guys heard, But the suicide rate is up in the uh, most flourishing country in the history of history. More riches than anyone, more people offing themselves than anyone. I was just talking about before the the transgender thing is being pushed down our throat, even though it's really a non-issue. If you look into the statistics, the post-operation suicide rate from male to female transition is 50%. If I told you I'll operate on your arm and you you might feel better, but there's a 50% chance you kill yourself, I think I'm going to take the limp arm for the rest of my life. So it might be, like they called it, gender dysphoria. It might be a mental illness more than anything because you are unable to weigh the odds. But we know work. Work, what did they... Bonum artem, a difficult good. It's a necessary struggle of life. And so sometimes you (laughs) confuse the human condition. Everybody feeling sad if you look into things enough. The human condition, you might be conflating that with your sexuality. Everybody has a coworker who is not straight, and that is the only fact you know about them. If I went around and talked about my kinks, I mean, I would be like a rapist as a white male or whatever. (laughs) If you prance around and talk about your sexuality all day, that's your identity. Here, let's class it up a little bit. We got a Durkheim quote on suicide. There's a collective mood that inclines nations to sadness, for individuals are too involved in the life of society for it to be sick out of their being affected. 
its suffering inevitably becomes theirs. This is the, like I always bring up, the people are a reflection of the state. So when you got a corrupt state that's selling off left and right, you got people who are treating their body like a corrupt temple about to decay. Gets up all into the trickle-down economics argument, which doesn't exist. We know Apple and uh, even Amazon was caught offshoring tax subsidies. So there is no such thing as trickle-down. That's a dumb argument to make with an economist look at some of the new york forum debates great place to educate yourself internet the library of alexandria we should be past these not just conservative but left-wing ideas too some of them are literally ancient hedges went undercover again he was in rockford illinois in 2015 and he went to a town that had shut themselves down for an entire day this was before it was a uh, federally normal to shut down an economy for whatever reason a single man in rockford illinois iced himself and he was like a little league coach a real big founder of the community he had a horticulture degree and he always said he wanted to be a botanist but his wife knew he gave that up for the family and much more up for the town and he was really involved in that political landscape down to the zoning board in the town. And apparently, the uh, he was a little too butthurt about the end of the 2016 election. So it doesn't even have to be work that puts people in these dark places. Like I said, it trickles down from the top. Stat he had, in America, this is the farewell tour, baby. Every single day, 120 people commit suicide. 95 of those are male. That's our male privilege, just <laughs> we carry that around on our backs all the time. It gets to be too much, and, and five of those people who kill themselves a day are veterans. So not even ISIS is killing five soldiers a day. We are doing much worse to ourselves. We learned a lot of Durkheim in my uh, criminal justice degree, Emilio, Emilio Durkheim. He knew decay on his own scale. He said it starts with churches, and then you get resolve boiled down to your families, and then the families are gone. We're stuck with single moms raised like a third of kids in America. And now you're seeing, like, Zoomers are growing up to be 40 years old, and they don't have a spouse. They're still swiping for matches on Tinder. Durkheim never had the ability to swipe. But he still saw what would make you happiest, much like Fyodor we learned a couple weeks ago. In 2018, when Hedges released the book, he checked back in with Rockford, Illinois. And now, once every 10 days, someone kills themselves in that town. So even in these like decaying Rust Belt towns, as work goes down, suicide rate goes up. They are very closely correlated. Chris had a cool one to wrap up the work chapter about in 1937 there was a GM General Motors strike and it lasted for 44 days the police set up a siege they like barricaded the workers inside the factory and on the 44th day because they were saying well let them stay in there as long as Jesus stayed in the desert and these GM workers had a strong will until on the 44th day they were gassed out they just threw tear gas into the factory the guy was willing to gas his own factory to get a new crop of workers that's how expendable labor is at that 1937 strike the workers did get a 5% raise and were allowed to talk to each other during lunch Imagine that. They weren't allowed to talk to each other during meals. It took 44 <laughs> days of silence to, be, to have that. 
privilege it's a privilege to talk to one another when like you hear about these Amazon warehouses nowadays entropy it gets worse now they're only allowed to pee in bottles you don't even have bathroom breaks hedges said that unions have become corporatized in our state of decay i worked for shoprite when i was like 14 and they made me join a union i was paying union fees for what for guys to come up and <laughs> use their ebt stamps while i put a banana up my butt for sustenance I mean, what were they? How was I being benefited by this union? They would have gotten another 14 year old to work for minimum wage. <laughs> Didn't get me any more money. He had a lot of quotes from just blue collar workers across America talking about it's not what it used to be. You used to be able to have a family, take them on a vacation, have a couple cars on a factory job. Now you have to work several jobs on top of that Amazon warehouse. In 1894, the Pullman Railroad Company, they had a 100,000-man strike, biggest in the U.S. history. And unfortunately, they didn't have the same luck as the GM kids. Pullman, the company, was able to consolidate with four other big railroad players at the time, and they crushed the union entirely. Again, swapped a new crop. So sometimes the big guys win. More often than not, I would say. That Pullman Union, they actually put the workers in debt. They said, you guys were on contract. We expected this much productivity out of you. Now you guys have to work four times the amount of days for free. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just get 4,000 new railroad workers in. Some Asian people that we got hooked on opium to pound the steel spikes into the railroads. And you see, that's how half of them were built. But half of the men just bent over at the waist. You have the power to socialize in America. You can create a union that is not yet corporatized. This will give your work life a whole new meaning. Bonum artem, how we started. It's a difficult necessity of life. But the more you can band together and suffer with the other people in the trenches, the less, <laughs> the more that suicide rate is going to drop. Chapter 4, we are moving into sadism. This was a wild chapter. Hedges the investigative journal that he is flew all the way out for San Fran to San Francisco for this part of the story. The San Francisco Armory. It uh, used to obviously hold all of our munitions to protect the West Coast, but nowadays it's the home of the Leather Daddies. The San Francisco Armory is now the home of Kink.com. When Hedges was there, he said they had a literal leather flag flying above the establishment. Leather pride flag. Where do you get red leather, yellow leather, blue leather? <laughs> That's how I warm up for the shows. The armory, though, it was vacant for three decades. Taxpayer money. We built an armory, and we didn't use it for 30 years. It was a $14 million building. We were making bullets there, and now they're pumping out dildos. <laughs> you ever see that meme? Somebody has to go and paint the dildos every day and then go home and keep a straight face to their family. <laughs> Another deteriorating factory job. Hedges attended, they do classes out of the armory for kink.com. He went to hot and heavy humiliation. Higher attendance than church in 2020. They started out the class, these are people, these are gurus of demoralization. They told him sadism gets in people's head. 
and it's a subculture of seeing how far you can venture like they're in the armory the national guard used to lift in the basement there they go down in the basement with their aforementioned dildos and see who could dig the deepest how far do you really want to go that's the same in the gym as it is in the bdsm bedroom hedges uh he divulged into how like Fighter pilots have uh, communities where they're all swapping wives and shit. The guys who are on the battlefield, they need that adrenaline rush. Why a lot of them redeploy? He quoted the hot and heavy class. Everything they do is called play. Referring to the kinksters. Everyone still respects one another. At times, participants would mail each other band-aids and other symbolic items as scare tactics. And in the class, he learned all of these things are to build the anxiety, which make for a better release. <laughs> like how all of our collective anxiety is going up with this flu. Right before uh, depressions create collective anxiety, war is what comes out of these things usually. We don't get to have an orgasm at the end. We <laughs> blow it up with explosions. Hedges interviewed a couple um, special forces guys because... BDSM, very close to torture. <laughs> you might get a Middle Eastern terrorist, bring him back to Guantanamo Bay, and it winds up he likes being whipped. He'll never give you information on the infidel. In Guantanamo Bay, they put people in wet clothes and just let them sweat in their jumpsuits for weeks on end. When a person's uncomfortable, they're more easily to be broken down. They would push the prisoners backwards have them blindfolded and a person catch them at the last second so a trust fall without thinking there's anyone behind you they would uh, like push someone against the wall just punch right next to their face for intimidation you've seen the pictures of um literally people being tied up and electrocuted uh dogs being used to scare the people in the prisons crazy one was they put a cellophane bag on the prisoners heads and made them watch themselves gasp for air in the mirror so humiliation again we're crossing the line the craziest uh, case that i had that they did over at kink.com they divulged to chris they put a lady in a mud coffin a coffin filled it with mud not even cold dirt she's drowning in mud in a coffin they nailed her nailed her in there for 15 minutes imagine how hard that lady got off <laughs> like we've learned in some of these psychological books it's it feels good to have something to worry about just because then you have something going on in your brain so these people have hacked that part of their brain like Dostoevsky said a couple weeks ago those who are who find pleasure and humiliation are free from the human condition and so more people are going to turn this on in their brain and take shelter in this sexual shell, as Betty Friedan would say. Further in the state of sadism, he met with uh, Hedges, a bunch of porn writers and producers. And he was just saying how they are the most lucrative business in America. They make up like some of the biggest pie chart after war and pharmaceuticals. But he also, those uh, execs were letting them know a lot of the people who are holding shares in uh, Pornhub, the CIA holds shares. They also hold shares in pharmaceutical businesses. They told him they basically own the dick pill industry, which you know it was supposed to be, Viagra was supposed to be a heart medication in the 40s, but they were giving it out to old men. And they're like, is my uh, 
is that supposed to be happening down there when I take this thing? And they're like, yeah, it's not really heart medication. It's a boner pill. They didn't do it on purpose, but then they just switched marketing and kept it in everyone's Monday through Friday pill thing. <laughs> now it's a part of our society. You see, like, uh, people advertise Blue Chew all the time. I should probably keep the name off the show, so if they want to sponsor eventually. <laughs> Young men are getting addicted to that shit. I know people my age at 23 who cannot have sex without... <laughs> performance enhancing drugs now that's some infiltration and then kink.com was saying the way that they're able to stay relevant because now look at coronavirus everybody has free porn now too this is we're being quelled more than ever the way kink.com was able to stay relevant with all these free sites out there now is just getting more taboo so they had the fuck her and flush her swirlies for sluts. They were doing like crazy headlines, just totally demoralizing shit to draw traffic to their website. And it's just going to get more gross and gross. You can go on like live leak and see people blow their heads off and shit. <laughs> How would like people are giving their eight year olds iPhones. You realize they're 10 clicks away from having PTSD for life. <laughs> we have sadism in all of our pockets. Then Chris uh, shifted his focus to sex workers, the ladies walking the streets. I guess you could consider porn stars sex workers too. But he also cited in those conversations, a lot of those girls said that the male actors were the most helpful because they're going through it too. They're not the industry just trying to exploit human sexuality for money. Again, these young girls were raised in single-parent households, most of them that were walking the streets, Tunnel Ave in Jersey City where he was. And abuse at a young age is closely tied to BDSM communities. So unless you want to clockwork orange people out of it, it's um, something you got to try to fix from the start. The oldest profession. If prostitution was legal, we really wouldn't be having these problems. Like if in China, if you sell drugs, they give you the death penalty. Imagine if they had prostitution there. You wouldn't have to work in a factory for a dollar. The femininity of having, you know, real control of your body, deciding to do with it what you want, gets manipulated into the mass hypnosis, into the mainstream. As Rome fell, prostitution was made illegal. That's, that's how it goes down. The more we get more sexually fucked up, the more frustrated we are as a society. Like all the, everybody's seen the Pornhub menus and the number one trending thing is always like steps incest what the fuck is going on america <laughs> let's get chapter five this one is about hate it's gonna be our quickest one because every empire has known to do it so racial division get some infighting going people are more easily manipulative then a good quote he started the ideal subject for a totalitarianist state is not a gung-ho communist or nationalist nazi it's those who cannot decipher what is fact from fiction it's like our current 1984 media that we have just flooded with disinformation so nobody knows what truth to trust. It's uh, better to have people that don't know what's going on, people that are checked out, than to have people that are nationalist and gung-ho, counterintuitive. Hedges focused on the Dylan Roof shooting. That was the South Carolina parished one in 2015. Kid fired 77 shots from a 45 caliber handgun. So it's not a big scary assault rifle with a bump stock that needs to be banned. This was a six shooter handgun and he was able to fire 77 shots before your police showed up. 
Maybe like in Texas, if some other good guy had a gun, we wouldn't have saw dozens of people die. But it was a poor white kid dropped out of ninth grade. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. He was said to be raised on hatred. The kid's suicide note, Dylan Roof, before he shot the parish up, said, I'd rather live imprisoned knowing I took action for my race than sit idle. So covered on the show racism comes out of a place of ignorance if this kid had just been introduced to someone of another race the stupidity would have evaporated from his brain now he's a 21 year old waiting execution on the death row in illinois covered it a little before we are in the mass shooter phase of decay and now it is race charged there's hatred more than just based on Dude, classism is worse than racism nowadays. Like, we're at a new level. It's nuts. He went into uh, some more of the figureheads who are peddlers of hate in our society. You got the Milo Yiannopoulos's, Ben Sharpio's. They're like expert trolls. There is a business in hatred now. That's what happens when you see people are feeding into it. The reports of negative comments online go up every year. <laughs> so violence goes down in the real world. But what is that a symptom of? People are um, not feeling heard, I guess, where they have to lash out online. I know this firsthand from the comments section. I'm sure you've all seen. In any media, you learn that the most vocal people are the most upset. You've seen the memes. It's an idea of our society. Karen needs to speak to the manager. It's always the people most upset that'll speak out. And with that, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, because he has some content on there where he just makes people laugh. He fucks around with comedians. He's not there for hatred. He's a troll. He likes to laugh out of it. And a lot of people don't understand the work of a troll. And uh, <laughs> it's like a practical joke. So most people are like, oh, how could you put a whoopee cushion under them? They, they didn't want to make it look like they farted. But then half people get the joke. So the Milo guys and the Ben Sharpios have seen firsthand that money is being wired into troll farms, into negative accounts, like spams, negative spam. You've heard of Russian troll farms. When we read Bullshit Jobs a year ago, people get hired through third-party shell corporations to do troll type of activity online. So there's a growing industry of hatred. He cited um, just growing dumbass religions like Scientology, they'll run you off of the globe if you bad talk Scientology. I hope we don't have any listening to the program. Cthulhu isn't real. I just ruined the 50th level. If your fucking religion has levels like a video game and there's no pipeline to go to the end like Super Mario, you're being fooled. What did the Buddha say? Be skeptical of those peddling enlightenment. <laughs> he talked about jihadism. We got a quote here. Got to pull this one out because I didn't want to commit these to memory. Any religion other than... This is a quote from the Quran. Maim and crucify the infidels if they criticize Islam. Any religion other than Islam is not acceptable. Terrorize and behead those who believe in scriptures other than the Quran. Quran 860. Muslims must muster all weapons to terrorize the infidels. Do we get it? Imagine the Bible said that. Oh, white man, defend your book right here. It says you need to kill everybody. It's only if you're wearing a hijab and you have uh, immunity in the media that your book of holiness is saying kill all others. Hatred is protected in our media, whereas white Christians are demonized. And then ended the chapter. Hedges here with just more about our media. I could talk your ear off about it forever. 
they turn up the hate when they need to, when we need a new war, when we need a Gulf War one, a 9-11 and hatred. Remember people, Muslims were getting beat up in the streets of New York because we turned the hate meter up because we wanted a war. And then again, we invade Iraq again in 2003. More hatred. Hedges ended with a good point. There is so much hate in America that we cannot be distinguished from our own enemies. Remember the Civil War? There were brothers living in the same household. One who supported the crown. <laughs> Oi, bruv. How do you know I was supporting the crown? And there was a freedom fighter in the household who believed in self-actualization. We are at that point in America where your sister could be a social justice warrior and you have that 45 Magnum under your bed for when a real, the 2% of the psychos we need to watch out for breaks into the house. We know that the landscape of the psychos, of the conformists and the non-conformists, it's really 2% of people that do not have sympathy and will steal and rob and pillage. Hatred will be used as a tool by any smart, capable empire ruler. Chapter 6, we're having a little bit of fun at the end. Gambling. <laughs> he kicked this one off with a Trump quote, baby. Let me get into character. This is uh, Donald Trump on the golf course. Donald Trump on the golf course. I played golf with my friend, and then I started playing with the hustlers, and I learned a lot. I learned about golf. I learned about gambling. I learned about everything. Trump, this guy is a crime boss, and he made it to the presidency. He's saying you don't learn from playing with the, the weekenders, the amateurs. When he started playing with the hustlers, he learned about more than just golf. It's hustlers that make it to the top. Mr. Trump, he has his, um, his Trump National Golf Course right on the Hudson River looking over New York. He also has multiple casinos in Atlantic City. One at a time was the biggest in the world. Hedges interviewed some people at Gamblers Anonymous. So we are talking about addiction before we didn't even consider gambling anonymous. But gambling is its own thing. It has been, like, there's always been the saloon, a place where you could go and try to double your stash. Bet on two Roman prisoner fighters. Gamble. Ahmed was so addicted to gambling, he would gamble all the way through the night. He eventually <laughs> gambled off his car. What other business can you go to and pay with your car? You could, like, give them the deed to your house and they'll let you play a couple more hands of blackjack eventually he had to mortgage his house Ahmed but Chris saw the pathology behind the guy he was always thinking in terms of his next win he didn't even calculate his losses if you even have a buddy who bets on sports games they'll never tell you about a loss it's always made big bucks this week and then they go dark for a few days oh did you hear about the big win posting pictures on snapchat or whatever it's just like how Trump does it. <laughs> Guy had to file for bankruptcy a couple times. He doesn't care about the losses. He's thinking in terms of the next win. Okay, the money game didn't go too well. Let's go for power. I'll be the president. Ahmed now owes the IRS thousands of dollars. He finally paid it off in 2014. Not a good story, but that's millions of Americans winding up like Ahmed. So the Trump Taj, we're going back to Atlantic City. The Taj Mahal, Trump's $1.2 billion casino. It's how much it cost to erect. It was the biggest casino in the world at one point. Michael Jackson did the concert to inaugurate it. Had a good 15-year run in 2006. Casino went under, and 3,000 people were out of work. So, of course... He got a bailout from the state just like Scranton. He worked out some toll booth fees. 
just like the games in his casino, that $1.2 billion to build the damn place was a flop. Gambling is about creating an illusion, just like economies. Even slot machines are fake how they pretend to slow down before they get to their spot. The computer chip has already decided it does like a double speed flip to the real bar that it's going to give you instead of the cherries. People who play the slots know it's impossible to know the odds of a particular machine. So it's a crap game. Unlike craps who you know you're being conned. That's like wrestling, Vince McMahon. They have a term for... The people you're supposed to be able to sell a fake to, that's your mark. And then there's people who don't really mind they're being conned. They like the game. That's the smart mark, the smark. So the smarks in the casino are the guys who just like to go play craps and drink free drinks and get girls to shout, see some boobies while they're bending over and throwing dice. So if the illusion is good enough, you'll have all the marks and the smarks in your casino. You got the dealers are in their tuxedos adds to the illusion. The more you spend, the more they throw on your comp points and a better room you might get. In all the casinos, this was a cool stat, there's never a right angle on the carpet of a casino because they don't want you to stop and think about where you're going. They just want to lead you into more machines. Even the sight line in casinos are not supposed to be more than like 30 yards. It's supposed to shut out all outside artificial light. There's no clocks anywhere. They're putting you in a weird limbo. Go watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas when he's (laughs) tripping on mescaline and LSD in the casinos. It's one of the best interpretations. It's just like a damp, closed-in, claustrophobic den. That's the point. That's how grocery stores, malls, a lot of commercial places are modeled. So then what happened in uh, 2016? Old uh, Daddy Trump, the Taj Mahal was bailed out after that first flop, and uh, it went under again. Had to file that one for bankruptcy again, and this time 7,000 people were out of work. So, I mean, who really cares? It's this guy's money. He could spend it on whatever ventures he wants to. But remember, he's putting tens of thousands of people out of work with these gambles. In 2016, America lost $117 billion gambling. $70 billion alone was the lottery. You've heard before, the lottery is a tax on stupid people. I would say it's a tax on hope, maybe a little more kind, but... Who? How many people win? And you've seen the state of decay George Soros and people he's known have won the lottery several times. That's how he paid off his ranch in Utah. Watch that movie The Island. That one is like an extrapolated piece about all of us hoping to get our organs from the lottery. It's about it all being rigged. So we have this new ludo-capitalism where everyone's making money off of their schemes and games of bubbles. And I had here, as we get to the end of the chapter... The CRDA, the Casino Reinvestment Development Authority, gave that Taj Mahal $88 million. So $88 million, which we didn't even know the CRDA, who's funded by taxpayer money, has hundreds of millions of dollars to bail out casinos every single year. So he got money to put more people out of work again. And now the casino, after 2016, it's still open. The It's... Operating cost is $1.3 million a day. I mean, with even the best club in New Jersey, the clubbing state that it is, I don't know anybody that's making $1.3 million a day. If you look at the books, you're going to see it's inevitable that there's more crashes to come. 
Adam Smith quote to end it. Profits are often highest in nations on the verge of collapse. This is what we've done in our country's history to Indonesia, Ecuador, Panama, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. We've tried a million times with Iran. They've been on the verge of collapse for decades. Look at we're knocking on Venezuela's door waiting for them to collapse, throwing money into their shell corporations. It's most lucrative at the end. That's why you might be listening to the entire show going, this kid doesn't know what he's talking about. The economy is booming. It's all funny money. (laughs) These are numbers you have to be able to evaluate high to keep on playing the game. If you're a stock trader, you'll know from quarterly earnings reports, people are always going to overvalue. Unless some bad news came out about you where like a coronavirus, they caught you eating bats and you got to take a hit for a little bit. If there's no proof, You keep saying you're doing better. And that's how people treat life. That's how economies work. And unfortunately, when you're a multinational bureaucracy, it fucks with millions of people's lives. That'll take us to our final chapter, the most important part of our decaying beautiful nation, Freedom, Chapter 7. This one kicked off with a George Eliot Willard Galen quote, The few must maintain the illusions of power over the many. Because if they unite, they are always more powerful. Other quote, The warden's job is the maintenance of order, not rehabilitation. Like I said before, the warden's trying to get his hands on the black market of the prison. He's not trying to get you home to your family in time. That first quote, (laughs) The few must maintain the illusion of power. They have to tell you, Call the cops on your neighbors who aren't abiding to quarantine. Because if all of us knew we were more powerful, we could have dealt with this issue much better. Everybody would have been at home (laughs) if everybody made three surgical masks. That entire fiasco would have been avoided. If we had a more collectivist mentality, you could overthrow the tyrannical few at the top who like to see you suffer. They told you buy the masks and then they lied to you and told you don't buy the masks because we're running out. They will lie to you, they will tell you that masks do not keep you safe when it is convenient for them. So the best thing you can do is not abide orders blindly. It's thinking rationally, thinking free. Like Steven Pinker, fucking renowned author, psychoanalyst says, As things, uh, entropy goes on, as things get deeper, as humans get older especially, we defer to authority more. You just fucking throw your decisions to the side. Yeah, government will take care of it. When you take it back, when you take the freedom back, if all of us took our own personal freedoms, we would become self-actualized and unionized, and we'd be more powerful than the few. Hedges went on this, like, ten-page rant praising some Swarthmore professor about comparing Italy and Germany's rise to fascism and us right now. And all it takes is for uh, good men to do nothing, for evil to come up. Why are grown-ass men 400 pounds? What happens if uh, tanks roll into your street? How would you help form a militia? We are the Wally people. Like from earlier, it's better to have the fat, dumbed-down populace than to have the rah-rah populace. Why, if the stock market is at such a booming all-time high, homelessness is also at an all-time high? It doesn't add up. There's a reverse in society when you see people go to prison to get off the streets. Homeless people are basically immune to arrest. When I was working on 16th Street, they have security that would watch the hobos throw things at windows, take their penis out, heckle 
pedestrians and visitors of Denver, Colorado. Cops do not want to arrest homeless people. They don't even want their smelliness in the back of their patrol car. I'm going to start dressing up as a homeless person whenever I need to steal an old lady's purse. In private prisons, some bombshell stats here at the end. In 2016, private prisons earned $1.7 billion. And they took $300 million as profit. Reinvested a lot, but that's a lot of prison warders on a pretty healthy salary, probably living on like ranches down with estates in Texas. Through subcontractors, private prisons in America will pay the inmates a dollar and a half for eight hours day of work. Not even an hour for a day's worth of work. That's the wages they're making in China, a dollar a day. And these prisoners, private prisoners, if you didn't know this, are responsible for making the United States military uniforms. When I did ROTC, I had a (laughs) uniform and it says it on the tag. Prisoners make the helmets for the armed forces. They make tents, ammunition. They do contract work for, you ready for this shit? Motorola, Microsoft, they make the McDonald's uniforms. Quaker Oats, Johnson & Johnson, Fruit of the Loom, Victoria Secrets, Starbucks merchandise, Nintendo. They use our slave prisoner factories for manufacturing, and we use their child labor work camps for assembly. <laughs> that's the corruption. That's the real racket. That's the behind the scenes. I grew up in Chris Christie's state where New Jersey, Johnson & Johnson, the headquarters is. So there's the corruption there. That doesn't surprise me even a little bit. Chris Christie, he would... Remember when he closed the uh, interstate leading into the George Washington Bridge? Ambulances couldn't get over. People were late to work. A lot of industry had to halt. And it's because some guy was trying to get greased up to get more of the toll booth money for like Union or whatever town it was that owned the bridge. Christie would shut down public beaches in Seaside so that him and his family could lounge. Well, probably not sleaze side. He was up in Cape May. So you see, you hear about private prisons all the time. It's the reason it's so important that we keep throwing people in jail for pot. Think about that, man. People are getting high as fuck out on the streets in California, and there's a guy in Texas with a life sentence for selling a gram. This is how we keep the economy going on a level. People don't want to be working in these factories for a dollar on the day. But recidivism is still over 60%. That shows you how bad society is that you wouldn't want to return. Not a lot of freedom there in the prison industrial complex. In 2015, a little decay, lack of freedom to come... Obama in 2015 passed the 1033 program, which transfers all <clears throat> all old military technology to police units. So this is why you see police now have grenade launchers, riot shields, giant MRAPs, like double the size of a Hummer that'll have a 50 cal driving down your street soon, microwave radiation weaponry, you've heard about the voice of God, they have military technology that's now just it goes out of uh standard issue every year because the military budget is billions of dollars the cops are armed to the teeth now i bet if you put like the both swazian military probably even the russian military against the united states swat or even police force at this point we'd take it home 
Hedges speculated in 2018, if we keep going down this path of arming the state, if it gets big enough, the world governments will collaborate and we will all be subjects to the World Banking Organization who he thinks has their protection ran by NATO. This guy uh, is more ingrained in the mainstream media community, so I would trust him. Like I said, we are selling out our country to the globalists. This is how you turn over countries for profit. You'll understand more when we get into things like the economic hitman. But these are quick hits for now. If When you see something passed by Obama like Program 1033 or suspending habeas corpus, it shows the motive. So let's move it along to our final excerpt. Hedges, quoting the theologian Paul Illetich, Resistance is about battling the forces of darkness. Whether individually via impulse control or bureaucratically with greed, resistance is about overcoming estrangement and not settling. Resistance is about dignity and sacrifice. Resistance is about courage. It is about freedom. It is our capacity to love. Resistance must become our vocation. This is one of the credos of the French, whereas our... In God we trust, one nation under God. We have a little bit more of a brainwashed motto in our heads, but in France, raison d'etre, they have a populace with balls. They are saying the reason for the government is to serve the people. You are not subservient to your government. An anonymous Russian cliche we have. On death row, all who rebel against empire are comrades. Again... Beautiful quotes. We'll end to how he started it. A true patriot stands for independence, not for the power structure of the day. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. America, the farewell tour. We are truly in a state of decay, addiction, work, suicide, sadism, hate, gambling. Hopefully one day we will find our way back to independence, freedom, and manifest destiny. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Nick's Nonfiction. I am your host, Nick Muniz. In just two weeks from today, we had planned our first ever convincing customer support. I do feel a little bit guilty heckling service workers of (laughs) essential business right now during the pandemic. So no promises in the air. We got our first mystery episode is going to be on deck. But we made it through the heart of the quarantine. Hopefully we're fading back to normal life. I uh, hope you guys learned something. A bunch of take-homes from Chris Hedges. Suggest the author. Suggest a re-listen if you need. We can all band together with the knowledge from this book. Looking forward to taking the show forward into the summer. I'll see you all in a couple weeks. This is your host, Nick Muniz. Later.